Hey friends, before we get to today's episode, I want to talk to you about unicorns. You know I think we're all unicorns because we have special gifts and talents, and because we're all so special, it's important that we invest in things that will help us get to the next level. In fact, 20% of all unicorn startups are using HubSpot, and for good reason. HubSpot's all-in-one platform levels up your sales, software, and support. Plus, they have a huge collection of resources to help startups scale. And with the HubSpot for Startups program, you can save big off your first year. To see if you're eligible to save on HubSpot, visit HubSpot.com slash startups. But what I realize hindsight is, you know, I don't think I would have had the guts to leave performing, even though the writing was kind of already on the wall. I wasn't as fulfilled on the tour. I was still really struggling with my body issues. I was really kind of feeling ready to kind of step into a new life, but I didn't know how to do it. And I was scared. The pandemic just kind of ripped everything out from under me. Once I had my crying in the bathtub, I kind of was able to sit up and go, okay, what would life look like if things were 180 difference? Hey everyone, this is Ashley Menzies Babatunde, your host and resident storyteller, and welcome to another episode of No Straight Path, the highs, the lows, and the lessons learned. No Straight Path is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. We are digging into the human stories behind success, and my hope, as always, is that you leave the conversation inspired, motivated, and excited about your journey. Wow. I can't believe that it's already May. Time is moving and the plants are blooming. Yes, friends, I know I'm corny, (laughs) but we are going to learn a bit about plants and the healing power of nature today. Today's guest has an inspiring and just really cool journey that I loved digging into. I met Maria Faela at Podcast Evolutions in Vegas, and I'm just so grateful that we crossed paths because Maria's thoughtful and reflective nature shines through her story and just the way she shares her journey. And I wouldn't say I'm a plant person or really a nature person, but Maria reminded me that it is important for our well-being. It's something I learned from my dad growing up. He made sure I got outside and hiked and we'd ride our bikes at the beach on the weekends. And when you live an urban, somewhat cosmopolitan life, You have to be intentional about connecting with plants and nature, and Maria's story is a perfect example of this. Before we get to our conversation, let me tell you a bit more about Maria. She is a plant killer turned plant lady on a mission to help everyone successfully care for plants and make the world a kinder and greener place. After learning to care for plants successfully and experiencing the exponential joy caring for plants brought to her life, she founded the Growing Joy with Plants podcast to learn alongside her listeners as she interviews experts in all aspects of plant care. Growing Joy with Plants has grown into the top home and garden house plant and gardening podcast in the world, gained over 2 million downloads, and was a 2020 Webby honoree. In 2022, she authored Growing Joy, The Plant Lover's Guide to Cultivating Happiness and Plants. And I also saw her feature on the Tamron Hall Show, which was just amazing. Love Tamron Hall. 
Maria spent the last decade as a professional musical theater performer and has been seen in Broadway musicals on The Great White Way and around the world. She's thrilled to now use her voice to help people grow more joy in their lives through plant care. I just started reading Maria's book and I'm learning so much. It's such a great read, so check out her book and her podcast and just other ways to connect with Maria in the show notes. She is really amazing. I also tried cutting down this conversation, but honestly, I just couldn't. So it's a longer one because there's just so many gems. I can't wait for y'all to hear this conversation, so let's get to it. Right. I'm so excited to have you here, Maria. Thank you so much for joining me on No Straight Path. I just am excited about your story. I think it's such a Thank cool Thank you. One. Yeah, it was so nice to meet you in person at Podcast Evolutions a couple of months ago and, you know, to have subscribed to your podcast and learn more about you. I'm so excited to be here and to chat all things wavy path, all the, all the turns that my career and life has taken in the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah. It is definitely an interesting one. But before we get to the twist and the turns, I do want to start from the beginning. So can you tell us about your childhood and how you grew up? Yeah. I'm Italian-American, very much identify that way. So I grew up with immigrant grandparents. My nunu, my grandpa, is the epitome of the American dream. He was captured in the war. He came over with nothing and built an unbelievable life for him and his wife and his two daughters, my mom being one of them. So I got raised with really great Italian Catholic values, I guess. I spent my summers going to our farm in Italy, and then I lived a very privileged life in the suburbs of New York City. So I kind of lived between these two worlds where in the summer I would go like live on our farm and chase chickens and like indoor plumbing was new, (laughs) you know, like was a new thing. It was like a very simple life. And then I grew up, you know, in a really well-off town with a beautiful education and, you know, married parents and great role models in my life. So I feel very fortunate there. I was the first child of all my siblings and the first child of my entire family. And I think now as I do more self-development work, I realize how profoundly that impacted me. I think I kind of came out of the womb, a natural leader, not afraid of stepping into the spotlight. I wanted to be a performer since I was like six months old. I feel like, I mean, since I could speak, I wanted to be speaking in front of people. And also I'm an Aries. So it's just leader. If you look at my life you know, that's very a dominant trait of mine. And yeah, I loved making people happy and I loved performing from a very young age. I love that. So there, you've already answered my second question was how does the work that you're doing now connect to, you know, your childhood, but that's definitely, you were born a performer. And I know that you were on Broadway for quite some time. Can you just tell us a little bit about your journey to Broadway, the actor's journey. I always find it really fascinating. Yeah. You know, I actually, on my desk, I have a drawing that I made when I was in the second grade. And it's a picture of me in a belly shirt and bell bottoms. And it says, when I grow up, I want to be a star in a show on Broadway. And I'm Sandy in Greece. It's like so specific and dramatic, but I keep it on my desk because it reminds me of that like inner child, that little girl. So yeah, you know, I'm currently a professional podcaster in the gardening space. I host the top home and garden podcast about houseplants and gardening. 
Uh, little girl Maria was not planning on that. I mean, what I do now has, I would say, I mean, definitely is affected by the way I was raised and everything has been, you know, God bless the broken road that led me straight to you. I definitely believe in that beautiful country song, but I always wanted to be a performer from when I was a little kid. And I was pretty focused on that from a very young age. I don't think a lot of children find their, what they think is their life's purpose that young. I had horse blinders on about it. I did every school play. I actually went to a sixth day of school in high school. Every Saturday, I went to the Manhattan School of Music pre-college program. I think about this with my parents like, and how incredible they were. We would get up at 6 o'clock in the morning. We would stop at Starbucks and get breakfast. My mom would drive me an hour into the city to drop me off for my 8 a.m. classes. She would drive home. I would take music theory and performance and opera and voice and music history, musical theater, all sorts of music classes that I wasn't getting at my normal public school. And then five o'clock, either my mom or my dad would be picking me up in the city and driving me home. And so I was pretty intense as a high schooler, pretty focused. And I went to school for opera. So I went to Rice University in Houston, Texas, and I got my degree in classical voice, always knowing that I wanted to be on Broadway when I grew up. My birthday present every year was tickets to go see a Broadway show, but I thought, okay, if I'm going to be on Broadway, I want to get my voice in the best shape possible in order for me to kind of like excel to the top. So I thought that meant getting a degree in opera and then moving to musical theater, and that's what I did. So my junior year of college, I got my first job, Maria in West Side Story, in a town in France where I showed up and no one told me that the dialogue was in French and the singing was in English. So I had French lines and I spoke no French. (laughs) So that was an interesting way of getting thrown into performing. And then shortly after I graduated school, I booked my first show. I did the international tour of West Side Story for a little under a year. I got to go live in Paris for three months. I got to travel Europe and perform, which was amazing. And for a decade, for my entire 20s, I did a lot of different like national tours of Broadway shows. I was in Cats on Broadway. And yeah, I'm super fortunate that that little girl who had the dream of performing on stage, like I totally did her justice. I got to do it. And honestly, I can say I'm super happy not doing it anymore. You know, in the spirit of transparency and in the spirit of the show, something that I've really been thinking about after living my life so wholeheartedly focused at one dream that I thought was my whole world. I thought Broadway was my whole world. I never dreamt of getting married. I never dreamt of having kids. My friendships were always on the back burner. Like my life was about Broadway. I missed friends' weddings. You know, I would drop people like at the drop of a hat if I got a call back. It was just like this very chaotic life, but it was my dream. So it's what I did. And then I got to Broadway and I still have my same emotional problems. You know, like I think sometimes when you put so much of your self worth on your profession or on achieving this goal, when you get the goal, you're like, oh, this did not solve all my problems. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that is certainly a running theme on the podcast and in my life as well. And so we all get to that point where you realize life is more than the dream. It's more than the work. 
right? There's so many other parts of our life that can lead to fulfillment. And I love that transparency. So thank you for sharing that because I, I'm not sure everybody realizes that. Yeah. I think too with performing, because you mentioned you're curious, it's a very externally glamorous lifestyle. Like you get to travel. I mean, I lived in Paris for three months and I performed Maria at the Chatelet in Paris. Like what the hell? Sometimes when I think about that phase of my life, I'm just like, that was insane. Like that was so cool. But, you know, there's a lot that you don't see. There's loneliness. There's, you know, in 2019, I lived in hotels for like 300 days of the year because I was on tour with cats and and I was engaged at that point. And that was really tough, you know, especially with the comparison syndrome with Instagram. When you see someone's bright and shiny life, there's always something going under under the surface that they're choosing not to post about which I try to like really intentionally post now knowing that. But yeah, I mean, it's a beautiful, there is something so magical about theater. There's something so magical about being part of a cast where you all get to sing together and tell a story together and have an audience impacted by your story. People make fun of cats a lot. I did cats for like two years. I did it on Broadway and then I did the national tour. But dang, I can't tell you like how many teary-eyed people we met at the stage door talking about how that show changed their life, whether it was inspiring them to dance or it was the first show their parents took them to or stuff like that. So I will say, although I'm happy that I've transitioned out because my relationship with theater was very unhealthy, the magic of theater is truly magical. And I'm so thankful for that decade of my life and getting to do it. Yeah, I love that. Sounds like a really beautiful, hard, interesting season of your life. And you know, you mentioned something about an unhealthy relationship with theater. What have you done to create a more healthy relationship just with your work now? Because it seems like that's something that could follow you in any career journey. That's a great question. I've never been asked that question before. I now look at my relationship with theater as like the abusive ex-boyfriend that like I kept going back to. And I'm an Italian woman, Italian-American woman. I have curves. I'm a size eight, I think, my natural body state. And from a very early age, like from a very tender early 20s, my first set of auditions in the city, I was constantly told that I needed to lose weight in order to get the roles that I want and that I was too fat to book shows where I was like literally a size eight, a size six, eight. And so because that was the constant feedback that I was getting from the industry, I looked at myself in the mirror and thought, I'm beautiful. Like I'm this gorgeous Italian girl with great hair and great eyebrows and look at these curves. But these people that are my elders, these people that hold my ability to make money, these people that hold my ability to achieve my dream are telling me that I'm not beautiful. I mean, I was literally told that I'm not beautiful like over and over again. It's like kind of sick when I think about it. So, you know, that can really break down someone's ego and also completely disconnected me to my own sense of intuition because all of a sudden I had to stop trusting myself because I was like, well, if I think that I'm beautiful, but they're telling me that I'm not, then I must be wrong because they're the bosses and they're in charge of this industry, right? So I think what I realize now after I've been in a ton of therapy and I've been out of the industry for a couple of years you know, I had some serious body dysmorphia. I had some serious disordered eating and I had some serious self-hatred that I allowed that industry to plant a seed of in me. And so I have definitely noticed that as I 
created my podcast, which is called Growing Joy with Plants. It used to be called Bloom and Grow Radio. What I've realized is I've really had to learn to take back my own autonomy, to take back my own sense of intuition, to take back my own sense of what brings me joy and what doesn't. I noticed that in performing, I looked outward for everything. If I had an audition, I would go to a coach and I would coach that until it was perfect and it was approved by my coach before I would go into the audition. I would crowdsource a million people about whether or not I should take this job. I really didn't trust my gut, even though I'm a highly intuitive person. And so what I've realized is there's definitely been moments in building my business where I notice, oh, well, this is my elder and they're telling me to do this. But I don't feel good about doing this. So actually, I'm going to stand in my integrity and not do this. And I'm going to learn how to make that feel good. So growing joy has really been a spiritual practice of reconnecting with my intuition and reconnecting with trusting myself and allowing myself to come through and myself to become the character. Not that I am a character, but I kind of talk about the podcast like I get to play the role of myself. Instead of trying to change myself in order to step into a role of that is someone else that I'm expected to look or sound or be like something someone else, instead I just get to like be myself and share my joy. That's been so healing after a decade of being told that isn't enough or good enough, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, what an inspiring journey just – internally and externally and having to navigate that tension when it comes to the pressures of the industry. And we all deal with it in different ways, societal expectations and pressures, and then what is actually going to bring us joy and internally. And like, I just love how you were saying, you know, no, I'm beautiful. Yeah. I know that. Why are they Why are they telling me this? Like it was only like in my late 20s. I mean, I genuinely believed them for the first five years because I was so naive and I wanted it so bad. Even just allowing myself the opportunity to be like, wait, are they right? You know, to like not just take their mandate as kind of gold was a really wild experience. And I think also as women on top of that, you know, I feel like I'm entering my baby feminist era where I'm really realizing these societal norms that we're conditioned with as women to like just accommodate and not ask too many questions and make yourself smaller literally and physically. Yeah. It's been a very interesting couple of years that have been really eye-opening. Yeah, yeah. And I'd love to know more just about Growing Joy and that pivot to the podcast work that you're doing to your new career. You know, tell us just even about the inspiration behind the podcast. Yeah. It's been such a wild ride. I feel like my nervous system has finally settled after three years of just pure chaos and like being in fight or flight for such a long time. So I was in Cats on Broadway. It was this crazy season of life where I moved in with my boyfriend, who's my husband now, and I booked my first Broadway show and I got to make my Broadway debut like in the span of a month. It was wild. I talk about like extreme highs. And so when I moved in with my boyfriend, you know, I was really transient for the previous decade and I wasn't like big into homemaking. Like I had an apartment in New York City on 181st Street where I had like eight roommates and we shared one bathroom and like interior design was not a thing that I was interested in. I wanted to go be on Broadway. So that's what I was focused on. So when I moved in with Billy, my husband, all of a sudden I wanted to nest for the first time. And I actually had a 
horrific history of killing plants. So I used to be an epic plant killer, which is crazy now that this is my job as the happy plant lady. Although I had this history, I like to say a house plant graveyard of like, you know, 20 or 30 plants. When I looked at our home together, I thought, you know, I think plants would really bring some life to the space. I think they would be so pretty. And we have this tiny little balcony garden. We have this tiny balcony with seven square feet teensy little Juliet balcony, if anybody understands that term. And I was like, it would be fun if we could just grow some herbs for our breakfasts. We're both big cooks. I'd love to you know, grow some chives that I could scramble into my eggs and a little tomato plant to connect with my Italian heritage. And so my mom set us up. My mom's an incredible gardener. And I felt like that gene skipped me for some reason. She set us up with an herb garden and a tomato plant. And I like to say with plants that I came for the aesthetic, but I stayed for the wellness because yes, these plants made my home look really beautiful. But once I learned how to successfully care for them, the explosion of joy in my heart was shocking to me. I mean, I was giddy, like sitting with my basil plants in the morning, singing to them or watching a new leaf of a monstera plant unfurl. Like taking care of something and having it thrive under your watch was just the most empowering experience, especially coming from a period of killing plants and having that kind of be part of my identity. Like, oh no, I'm a plant killer. I was in Cats on Broadway, so I was, you know, making my money on Broadway. I had no desire. I was like, oh, I'm just getting started. First, I'm going to do Cats. Then I'm going to book another Broadway show. Then I'm going to win a Tony. Then I'm going to win an Emmy. Then I'm going to have an EGOT. I had like a crazy plan for my life then. But my contract at Cats ended and I was going to be unemployed. And I always get a little blue after a show ends. So I thought, I love listening to podcasts. I keep searching on the iTunes app houseplants, gardening, and I cannot find a podcast about houseplant care, I'm just going to make one. I'm going to make 10 episodes. I don't know how to use a computer. I barely know how to use a computer. I don't know how to edit a podcast. I don't know how it works, but I'm just going to like YouTube my way through it. And it'll just be like a fun 10 episode moment for me, kind of an act of service to other millennials like me that were living in 500 square feet, an urban environment, and wanted to connect with nature. Because I felt like that connection with nature that I was getting like just radically changed my life. So I saw these like life lessons reflected back to me in my plants, which we can talk about in a little bit, but I'll continue the evolution of the show. So I literally would be like babysitting. And when the kid went to sleep, I would watch YouTube tutorials about how to edit on GarageBand and how to use Zoom and record a podcast. And I just like DM'd these huge plant accounts for my personal account being like, I have this idea. Would you be interviewed by me if I launched this podcast? And I think because it had never been done before, they all said yes. So once I realized I had all of these cool plant accounts like The Sill and Homestead Brooklyn and a couple of amazing other plant people that supported me in my launch, I just like figured it out. And I thought that I would be done at 10 episodes because I was so, you know, confident that I would book another Broadway show, but I didn't. And the downloads of the podcast kept doubling because I shared the podcast on Instagram. I made a scrappy little Instagram account for my podcast and I connected with other plant people in the space. They started sharing the show. There wasn't a podcast about this topic and there's a huge community of plant lovers on Instagram. So I have to say thanks to Instagram for, you know, kind of launching my show that way. And I still was just like focused on booking another Broadway show, but I thought, okay, I'm still unemployed. The 10 episodes are done. Let's do another 10 and see what happens. 
after 20 episodes, I'm paying out of my pocket for the show. I thought, okay, well, I'm unemployed. Like I can't keep paying for this show by myself. So I was like, what's affiliate marketing? How can I figure that out? So I took a course on affiliate marketing and I launched an Amazon storefront where I recommended, you know, my favorite plant products and made partnerships with some planty companies that, you know, were aligned with me just to break even. And then once I figured out how to break even, I was like, oh, could this like just pay for my plants? That could be fun. Just be some fun plant money on the side. To Maria's surprise, it became much more than plant money on the side. It became a full-time business. As soon as Maria was able to get back to her theater career, she did. For several years, she balanced the podcast with theater. And there was one year where she did eight musical shows a week and produced one podcast episode a week. She said she was definitely burning out, but she loved the fact that she could travel for cats and do podcast meetups with her listeners in various cities like Tucson, Arizona, and San Diego, California. And at that point, about four years into her podcast, she had a large listener base. She had built a strong community and she loved meeting like-minded plant lovers in person. But then the pandemic hit. And then in 2020, I was in a show in New York City that got shut down three days before opening night because of the pandemic. That's when like my brain broke. I like to say I cried. I drank Aperol spritzes in my bathtub and cried for like two straight months. (laughs) It was just this like weird, it felt like this cruel twist of fate. Obviously the pandemic was a cruel twist of fate. And also I was in New York City. So that was just terrifying to begin with. But what I realized hindsight is, you know, I don't think I would have had the guts to leave performing, even though the writing was kind of already on the wall. I wasn't as fulfilled on the tour. I was still really struggling with my body issues. I was really kind of feeling ready to kind of step into a new life, but I didn't know how to do it. And I was scared. The pandemic just kind of ripped everything out from under me. Once I had my crying in the bathtub, I kind of was able to sit up and go, okay, what would life look like if things were 180 difference, you know? So in that span of time, I think we're both COVID brides. So it was really crazy. I mean, in that, you know, March, April of 2020, my engagement party got canceled. My wedding got postponed. I lost my job. And my husband and I decided to move out of New York City and move in with my parents to save money because I didn't need to be in New York City because there was no performing. So then we lived with my parents for six months, which was really interesting being engaged. So yeah, it was a really wacky time that really I needed, but it really felt like my whole world got flipped upside down. And I'm so lucky that I had the podcast. And if you want to talk about divine timing out of nowhere, literally out of nowhere, One of my listeners slides into my DMs and says, hey, I have an idea for a book about plant care and self-care. I know you talk about this on your podcast all the time. I'm an editor at Macmillan, a very fancy publisher. Do you want to work on this book project with me? And I was just like, what? I'm a podcaster. I'm a talker. I'm not a writer. What are you talking about? I actually thought it was spam and I sent it to my dad being like, have you ever heard of Macmillan? Like, what is do you think this is real or do you think this is like a freaky, like, I don't know, scheme? And he was like, Maria, (laughs) respond to that email immediately. What are you doing? So yeah, I got my book deal out of nowhere. And just what I noticed in the pandemic was that 
the energy kept not flowing towards performing and kept flowing towards the podcast and plants. And so I thought, okay, universe, I'm ready. I'm going to trust you. Just keep opening doors for me and show me where I have to go. And the book deal came and people got really into gardening because of the pandemic. And I was able to move upstate and start a garden and just all of this energy was moving there. So I thought, okay, I will follow this and just say a prayer that it will all work out. (laughs) Wow. What a beautiful, beautiful, inspiring story that, you know, it often happens like that. There's like these pain points and these hard moments that often lead to really beautiful, inspiring journeys and creations and works of art like your book. And so friends, we're going to take a quick break so I can tell you about another amazing podcast and that's Latinx Empower hosted by Thaisa Fernandez, which is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. Latinx Empower is a podcast that features interviews with top-level executives, entrepreneurs, and innovators from Latin America, aiming to demystify the tech industry by providing listeners with insider perspectives and insights from Latin American leaders who have succeeded in their careers. I think you'll love a recent episode on toxic positivity in the workplace. Listen to Latinx Empower wherever you get your podcasts. I am just curious about that period, that low period that we don't really see. We don't see it on Instagram. We see the social media highlights. And you talked about being in the bathtub with the Aperol spritz, (laughs) the image there. Thank you for sharing that. You know, what advice do you have for someone who might be in a challenging time in their career? They might be experiencing a pretty big setback. Do you have advice for anyone going through something like that? Oh my gosh, I have so much advice. So two things. Number one, I think you need to let yourself have the crying in the bathtub with the Aperol spritz. Like I think – I don't know if this is also a millennial thing, but I think it's so easy to just be like, I'm just going to keep moving forward. I'm just going to figure it out. I'm just going to not let this affect me, you know, to just kind of shut down and just move forward. And I needed to grieve the loss of that career. I've been grieving the loss of that career for years, right? Like I needed to let those moments run through my body and feel them so I could release them. So I would say like give yourself a bathtub moment, cry it out. (laughs) I think that's important. You have to honor where you are. You have to let yourself know how bad it's gotten, I think. Something that was so powerful for me that is a chapter in my book. There's actually a whole page dedicated to this one mantra. After pruning comes new growth. So when I said that, I see life lessons reflected in my plants on a daily basis. Plants, I think, can be the greatest teacher. You just have to tune yourself to the frequency to listen to them. Let them teach you, right? So, you know, the concept of pruning, if anybody's ever had like a little pot of basil, you'll understand this. Pruning is very counterintuitive. You're actually cutting a plant back in order to trigger new growth. And what happens in the plant is when you cut that plant back, it triggers this release of a hormone called auxin. And auxin is the growth hormone and it actually instigates this bushier lateral growth. So if you have an herb garden, you've got to prune in order to get that big, epic, bushy basil plant. And so in 2020, I would look at my herb garden and I just kept saying, 
Maria, after pruning comes new growth. After pruning comes new growth. After pruning comes new growth. I would literally say this to myself over and over and over again, probably for two years. And I just knew that I had to trust. I'm a very spiritual person and I was spiritual before 2020. And I'm very thankful that I had that to lean on because in this period of what it felt like, the world was just rebelling against me. I mean, job, marriage, home, all of it, right? All of it was taken away. I had to just trust that it was for a greater reason that I couldn't see in that moment. And I had to just trust that there were powers that be that were greater than me, source, God, whatever you want to call it, right? I like to go with source, that were like working their magic. And this is now three years. We're in 2023. Three years later, I will say I've only just started kind of coming up from air through this kind of dark night of the soul. And I'm happier than I ever have been. And I have such a larger, more robust life than I ever could have had as a performer. But that 2019 Maria who could only see herself on Broadway and would not allow herself to see any other possibility for her life beyond Broadway because so much of her ego and self-worth was tied up in that would not have even understood the capacity for the life that I have now. I needed to get that rough pruning in order to get that you know, figurative oxen turning in my body and in my life to just allow for this expansion. So I think if you're going through that time, just like get yourself a plant and allow that moment, that physical moment of pruning it. But if you don't have a plant, that's also fine. Just keep telling yourself after pruning comes new growth. It's science. It's math. It happens. You've got to prune back to allow the growth to happen. Wow. I just, another one. Wow. You're just sharing all of these gems and I feel so inspired. Honestly, I love that you also talked about just being a plant killer in the beginning because that is very helpful for me because I gave up. So during the pandemic, all of my friends did. We like, there was Everybody a got plants. Pandemic, group text. Yeah. Yes. Pandemic plant parents. Yep. <laughs> we did. And we all got plants to get through the times. And so I had some, uh, some of my friends, they were great at it. I, my plants all died. And you know, so I just gave up and I got this really beautiful fake plant that is still outside Fabulous. <laughs> of my balcony. <laughs> but now you've inspired me to maybe try again, which I think is great. And I just love the use of the the metaphor regarding, you know, pruning and growth. And you know, let's talk about Maria today, that you are experiencing growth. You know, as you said it's very different from three years ago. Can you describe your life right now and who you are and who you're becoming? Yeah, sure. Thank you. you. These are great questions. You know, my husband and I constantly in this season of life look at each other and laugh because we're just we're just so tickled by who we've become because we're so different than those 2019, you know, pre-2020 people. So pre-pandemic, we lived in 500 square feet in New York City. Now we live on five acres in the middle of nowhere in the Western Catskills of New York. We have no mailbox. We have to go to the post office to get our mail. We have no garbage service. We have to take our garbage to the dump. We live such a simpler lifestyle now. There's no delivery. I will always remember when we moved up here, we had this crazy move. We were so exhausted and we just thought, oh, let's just order a pizza. I can't deal with dinner right now. I think it was nine o'clock and we just were like, let's just order something. Let's go on seamless. Because in New York City, we would order delivery like four times a week. Not one restaurant delivered to us. It's the silliest concept, but 
and it's so privileged for me to even say that, right? But I was privileged. I was living in New York City. I had the world at my fingertips. And all of a sudden, I moved to the country and there was no food delivery options for us. All the restaurants close at nine or 10 o'clock, too. So I think we had toast for dinner that night, you know, whatever was in one of our opened boxes. Moving to the country has really allowed my nervous system to settle. I write about this in my book. You know, my book is a self help book about how to use plants and nature to live a happier life based on a lot of my personal experiences. And when you move to the country, there's something that happens to your nervous system the lack of sound pollution. That's actually something I think a lot of people don't talk about. The sound pollution that we experience in cities is so upsetting to our nervous system. And when you move to the country and you're in quiet, it's actually unnerving to begin with. And then you really sit into it, which is lovely. Being surrounded by nature also is just so beautiful and so nice. So yeah, so we live a a much slower life now. It's so funny when we go back into New York City, we start just counting the minutes down till we get to go home because it's so frenetic there. I mean, the city is beautiful. I'm always going to love it. I'm always going to be a New Yorker at heart. But I was there for my book launch for a week. And at the end of the week, I was ready to go. I'm a full-time plant lady podcaster now, so I run my business, my Growing Joy with Plants podcast and community platform and my book, Growing Joy. I run it all from my house, from my little computer. I'm so scrappy. You know, it's me and my computer and, and my little mic. I'm a fully indie podcaster as well, so I'm kind of doing it all on my own. But I've built out a beautiful team of people that help me now, so I have an amazing podcast manager. I have an editor and a copywriter, people that help me just with the constant churn of the content that I create. It's my goal that I can just be the kind of creative visionary for the show, and then I have people that support me doing the stuff that I don't love doing. But that's definitely an incremental journey, right? And what else is there to say? It's definitely a pinch me moment that I get to dedicate my life now, or I get to dedicate my career now to helping people feel better. I think we're in such an interesting time in society where everybody is addicted to their phones. Everyone is overscheduled and overstimulated. We're all trying to process what the hell we all just went through in the pandemic. And we're numbing in unhealthy ways. And I think nature is just a large part of the answer. I think if we all turned back to nature, whether it's houseplants, whether it's gardening, whether it's going for a walk in your forest, if we all just incorporated more nature into our lives as a nervous system regulator, as a teacher, as a practice, I think it would connect us to the earth more. And that would certainly help because she needs some help and it would connect us to ourselves more. So I feel unbelievably lucky that this is what I get to do and I get to make my own work hours and you know, I'm sitting talking to you. I have like a nice shirt on top and I'm in like sweatpants on the bottom because I don't have to go into an office. You know, it's fabulous. Yeah, no, I love that description and how you painted that picture of your life. And it is beautiful. And you're so right about just going back to nature. You know, I think that that has been extremely helpful for me when it comes to my hikes. Like my husband always jokes. He says, you're not going on a real hike, but I go on LA hikes. Love it. And I am in nature. AKA like hot girl walks. (laughs) Yeah. You know, listen. Are you in nature? Are you like on a mountain? Do you see a tree? Then you're hiking. You're doing great. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. That is what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. And so, and I am curious too, just about the book deal 
and the writing process. You know, you said that you are a speaker and you are not a writer. What was that like? Can you describe that for us? It was like exquisitely painful. Like it was incredible. It was one of the most incredible experiences of my life. Getting to take serious time to distill your worldview, which is what I feel like I did for my book. I distilled my worldview of how I think nature can solve all of our problems (laughs) or at least help us heal and live happier lives, right? So it was beautiful. But it was so hard. I have so much respect for any author. Like, man, I have not had children, but it felt like giving birth to a baby. And you write your first not a boohoo moment because we're so I'm so lucky. I understand that my experience with my book deal is so unique and a lot of people work very hard to try and get book deals and I got one just on my lap. I don't want to minimize that. But also you know, I'm not a writer. I didn't have writing experience. I did the negotiations. I got my book deal and then they're like, "Yeah, we'll see you in 3 months when you have a book." And my thought was uh, can you help me a little bit? Can we have some check-ins? Can I have some accountability? How do I do this? Right? You write a book proposal, which is an outline of a book. And then all of a sudden you're thinking, I have to write 75,000 words. I have to turn this two-page outline into 75,000 words. Wait a minute. Hold up. Hold up. Hold up. This feels terrifying. But you do it one page at a time. So it definitely took me a minute. I think I definitely should have hired a writing coach, which I did not. I definitely think I could have gotten more support that I didn't. I think I would, if I was given the opportunity, I would do that differently. But I figured it out. So I think the trickiest part was finding when I could drop into a flow state to really write. I had this idea that I would write for two hours in the morning and then do my work during the day. But what I didn't really realize is, you know, it would take me 45 minutes to drop into the flow state and then I would want to write for four hours. So then I had to kind of change my workday so that I wrote on Monday and Tuesdays. And then I did my administrative tasks for my podcast Wednesday through Friday, did my interviews. And then as I got closer to deadlines, the book just eclipsed my life. I'm so thankful to my supportive husband. I would be on like an eight-hour writing flow and he would just bring a plate of dinner to me. I lost so many weekends that year to writing the book and he was really supportive in just helping me get through it. And I would say it probably for those who might be in their writing journeys. I think it took me twice as long as I anticipated it would in terms of hours. But it was a beautiful process. It was really beautiful. I learned a lot through the process and I'm so proud of the book. And I know you said, you know, hiking, you don't need to have houseplants to use plants for wellness, plant care, as self-care. The real mission of the book was, you know, there's over 60 practices in it and there's something for everyone, whether or not you want to play with your houseplants or you want to play with your garden or you want to go forest bathing. So forest bathing is, you know, I have a whole chapter on forest bathing in my book and that's something that you could dive into with your dad. There's so many different ways to engage with nature. Similar to my podcast, I have episodes on such a wide variety of different plants to take care of and different methods of growing because there's no one size fits all. The important thing is that you're just interacting with plants and nature again if you've gotten a little disconnected and then seeing what unfolds from that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good to know. So it's been such an incredible journey that you've been on thus far. And I just wanted to know if you have any lessons learned that you'd like to share with listeners from your journey. From an entrepreneurship perspective? Yes. <sighs> yeah, I do. You know, I don't want to say I would do things differently because I learned along the way, 
But I wish that I let my ego and my scarcity mindset around money, I wish that I healed that earlier in my entrepreneurial journey because I really felt like I couldn't spend any money on the show when I got started. Like I said, I taught myself on YouTube. I edited everything myself. And I paid for everything out of my pocket. Like I I had real limiting beliefs around money for the show. And because of that, I hired late. I could have hired coaches. I could have sought guidance and I didn't. I just kind of naively tumbled through that experience of entrepreneurship, which caused me a lot of pain down the line, especially when I decided, oh, I am going to be full-time at this and I have not set up internal systems that will support paying myself. And that was a huge pain point. So I would say don't waste your time taking too many courses, but if there's a course or if there's a coach or if there's a teacher that can help you become more efficient faster, there's so much value in that. And you have to just view investing in your business and investing as yourself as a long-term reward. And I think I just would have saved myself a lot of time if I did that starting out, which I think you're so beautifully doing in your own podcasting journey. Oh, thank you. Trying. Yeah. And (laughs) I also think when you're starting out, there's a ton of, you know, I started out doing trades, right? My friend did my website. I got really lucky that I had just like little trades for, you know, little coaching things like expertise trades, but there is something in just paying someone what they're worth and getting the product that you want, like just paying. I think my big lessons learned were really wrangling my money mindset and learning that investing in myself and my business could be my most powerful thing. Also, I think don't get disconnected from your joy, especially if you monetize a hobby. It's going to change. My hobby, my passion was houseplants. And then all of a sudden, my houseplants had to make me money. And there was a change there. And I let it get at one point in 2021, I swung way too far onto the monetization side. And I kind of lost touch with the original reason why I started the podcast, which was because plants brought me joy. So I think you have to always stay in touch with why you started But also just understand if you choose to monetize a hobby, your relationship with that hobby is going to change. You have to allow it to change and you're going to have to work on that relationship like you would work on a human relationship, right? I've had to find new things about plants that inspire me, new methods of growing that create curiosity in me. I've actually found other hobbies that aren't plants. I've gotten really into sewing and really into embroidery. And learning sewing and embroidery has actually reconnected me with my passion for plants because it puts me back in that beginner mindset of, oh my God, I remember, you know, I just binged 10 embroidery videos learning how to do this certain stitch. And I'm like, oh my God, I remember when I binged 10 YouTube videos trying to learn how to propagate a snake plant. You know, it just like, you've got to constantly cultivate that curiosity for yourself. Because if you're like a passion-led entrepreneur, You've got to stay true to that part of yourself or your audience is going to know and you're going to know and it's not going to be fun. And I feel like we start our own businesses so we could have fun, right? You are preaching right now. This is very helpful. (laughs) I hope not too much, but (laughs) – I know. I feel very seen. I will just say that. It was very helpful. I recently talked about that on a previous episode about my journey of trying to – balance passion with turning this into a business. And so I think that that's wonderful advice. There's a great book that I recommend to a lot of creative entrepreneurs 
I got a lot of great books, actually. <laughs> read books. Read a lot of books. That's also helpful. Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Have you read it? I've heard of it. It's on my list because I do love her as an author, but I have not read that one. Okay. So it talks all about her creative process. And there's one chapter that I quote all the freaking time when she waited tables long after – I'm going to misquote her, but she waited tables long after she needed to with Eat, Pray, Love because she could not let her scarcity mindset go into her writing. So she made her money elsewhere so that her writing could be purely creative. She has a lot of really good nuggets in that book. I highly recommend it for creative entrepreneurs for sure. Yeah, definitely. Okay, I'm going to check it out. You've already shared so many wonderful gems with the audience. If you have any final thoughts, please share. I think if anyone listening to this show is probably on their own journey as well, you know, their own windy journey. And just put one foot in front of the other, man. Just put one foot in front of the other. Trust that pruning metaphor. Trust that you are exactly where you need to be. Even when you don't want to be there, you're exactly where you need to be. And I only say that having gone through three years of clinical depression, <laughs> dealing with you know everything we've talked about. There's a lesson in every upset, and you know allow yourself to live those moments and stay present. Thank you for listening to another episode of No Straight Path, the highs, the lows, and the lessons learned. Remember to share the podcast with friends and family. And my hope is that these stories help you navigate your No Straight Path journey. If this content is adding value to your life, and I hope it is, please take a few minutes out of your day to rate the show and write a review. You can click the link in the show notes to write a review. It helps other listeners find the show, and I just really appreciate it. Have a lovely week, embrace the journey, and remember... You're not alone.